Well, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Luke 18. And here's my thesis, okay? Here's the big idea that the most important conversations you will ever have in your entire life are with God. You have talked a lot in the past. In fact, wouldn't it be interesting if I had a transcript of every conversation you've ever had? I'd like to have a transcript of the conversations you had on the way over here today. Just getting ready for church. That might be interesting. Uh, who's impatient? Who's not? Who's yelling at who to get here? A lot of ungodly things happen, frankly, getting ready for church. But I don't have those transcripts. Um, those conversations are important. You've talked a lot in the past, but the most important conversations you've ever had in your past were with God. And you're going to talk a lot today. But um, the most important conversations you have today are with God. And tomorrow, and the next day, this week, you're going to be talking with your boss, with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your kids. I'd like to have those transcripts as well as to what you say with your kids. You're going to, have all, you're going to talk with a future boss. You're going to talk with an investor. You're going to talk with, with a client. But the most important conversations you will have this week, the most crucial, are with God. And so we're talking about prayer, and that's been the big idea of it. And here's why. Here's why. Let me prove to you why those conversations with God are the most important. Because, number one, you need power in your life. And number two, God is the only one with the power in your life to actually help you. Oh, yeah. He's also the only one that will listen to you in toto, in complete. Who would ever sit down and listen to everything I had to say? You barely get through a morning on Sunday. Who would ever listen to all of the drivel that I bring? All the stuff, God will, because he's my father because of Jesus. And you and I have big questions. Now, I got to give credit to Brett Clemmer. He gave me these questions and he got them from Gordon McDonald. And so here they are, uh, because you see, the reality is in every phase of our life, we've got big questions. In our 20s, we've got questions about our place in the world. Where do I fit in? Am I lovable? Can I love? Where, where am I going in my life? What am I going to do with my life? Uh, who am I going to marry? In our 30s, we've got all kinds of other questions, a whole other set of questions. I've got all these responsibilities. Where did all these people come from who were in my house? These little people running around. I've got all this stuff to do. How am I going to get it all done? How come I'm not doing the things that I like to do before? How come I don't get to do those things? Why is my spiritual center, my spiritual life so confused right now? Why don't I have the time for friendships? In our 40s, among other things, we ask questions like, why are others doing better than I'm doing? Why am I often so disappointed in myself and others? Why isn't my marriage dazzling? And at the break, Jeff Vogan, our worship director, said, no, about dazzling, our marriage is dazzling. We got it. We got that. Under I'm not asking that question. Um, why, why don't I feel as attractive anymore in my 40s as I felt younger? In my 50s, we ask questions like this. Am I obsolete? Is it over for me? Are the most important days of my life actually behind me? Do I have anything else to offer? Our kids are leaving the home. My spouse and I are here together. Do we have anything in common? 
what value do I have to give? In your 60s, people are asking questions like, how long can I keep doing the things that define me? Why do my peers, I like this one, why do my peers look so much older than me? <laughs> man, I'm not in my 60s yet, but I ask that question. I see friends I haven't seen. I say, man, he looks old. He looks old. And I, I know, I know, right? Uh, it's, it doesn't make sense. What does it mean to grow old? How do I deal with anger and resentments that I have never resolved? In my 70s and 80s, we will be asking questions like, does anyone know who I once was? How do I cope with the increasing weaknesses around me? How, may, uh, how, how many years do I have to, uh, left? How can I maintain my independence and my dignity? When I die, how will it happen? What about all these things that I intended to do but never got around to doing? Questions, big questions. Who has the power to do anything to help you, really? God does. And who really will listen to all of your questions? God will. I rest. The most crucial conversations you will ever have in your life are with God, and therefore prayer is so important. And that leads us to our text. I'm not going to preach on it today. I'm just going to read it. Luke 18, 1 through 8. This is God's holy word and his message to you and to me. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming to me. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. And I want you to look again at the first line. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. You see, the key thing about prayer is this. If we lose heart and stop praying, then we lose heart. It's a vicious cycle. He says, I don't want you to lose heart so that you quit praying. But then when you quit praying because you've lost heart, you will certainly lose heart. Prayer is so powerful in maintaining our relationship with the Lord. Let me tell you three reasons why I struggle to pray. And then we'll get an expert up here on prayer. I struggle to pray for three reasons. One, because of my temperament and my physical makeup. My temperament is 100 miles an hour, amped up, ramped up, let's go. And I hate to wait. God called us to wait. We sang it this morning. That when we wait on God, he, he renews our strength. I, I know, but it's difficult for me. And so it's hard for me to pray. It's hard for me to wait. I figure if something needs to get done, do it. I also struggle to pray because I am a committed supernaturalist with a naturalist bent. I'm a committed supernaturalist with a naturalist bent. I absolutely believe that there is a God who created this world. I believe in God. That's a good thing if you're a pastor, to believe in God. 
as Karen and I were flying to Colorado on our vacation, and it's good to be back, but on the way out there, we sat next to a young man. She was reading Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, and he engaged us in a conversation. So cool when pagans bring it up. And, and we were talking about stuff, and I, you know, I was saying simple things like, you guys talk about the Big Bang, that's fine. I believe in the, possibly the Big Bang is what started it all, but where did it all come from? How, what got it started? Um, uh, you see, in my experience, nothing comes from nothing. That if there's something, there was something before it. That with every cause, with every effect, there must be a cause. And so we talked a little bit about that. I was sitting at a pond yesterday, looking at that pond, and uh, this, you know those birds that kind of fish with their long cranes or something? I don't know what it was. Um, all of a sudden, this bird was, was watching. I was watching this bird, and all of a sudden, there was ripples. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is great. I wish I was on the plane with my friend. Um, those ripples came from nowhere. Nothing caused those ripples. Don't tell that to the bird. Because he heard it, saw it, and missed it. The fish that caused the ripples. I'm a committed supernaturalist. God created the heaven and the earth. However, we, we live in a world where we are told over and over, it all just happened. It all just happened. And sometimes I'm influenced by that, and so are you. Third reason, my parents divorced when I was younger. My dad was gone. I wasn't raised with a dad. I learned to get along without a dad, survive without a dad. So praying to God as a father, I mean, you know, is he listening? When he was home, he wasn't listening, and then he was gone. Is God involved? Those reasons keep me from prayer. But I've learned to pray because Jesus did it, he commanded it, and I've seen so many answers to prayer. Now let's get an expert. Steve Brown is here. He's going to help me talk about prayer. Um, and uh, it's privileged, Steve, to have you here to talk about prayer. Because um, you're the expert. No, I'm not an expert. When I wrote that book on prayer, it was published by a secular publisher. And, they, and I said, what? We don't have enough books on prayer? And I looked at two shelves in my study on prayer. And this pagan said, nah, those are written by experts. <laughs> and so... Uh, Hello, so you're not an expert no, on prayer? No, I'm not, but, I, but, I, but I'm honest. And so I decided what we need is uh, uh, a book on prayer by somebody who's as screwed up as you are. And, uh, but Steve, be you're not supposed to it. offend the audience today, all right? Well... They don't fool me, All right. and I don't fool them, but I, that's, that's the reason I wrote it. I wanted to be honest. I'd learn things. I wanted to share them. You know, I'm the consummate cynic, and I know a lot of very religious people, and most of the time they're lying, uh, and that messes with our heads. It does bad stuff to us. The thing, I, I, as you know, I love my pastor, but one of the things that I love about Pete is that he is genuinely a man of prayer. He doesn't lie about it. Uh, he gets up early and he goes and spends time with God on our behalf. And I love him for a lot of reasons, but man, he's the real deal. And, uh, he, but uh, you and I know there are so many who say religious. So I decided to write a book by a non-expert and tell people what I discovered. Well... And, uh, you know, you've influenced me a lot. You pray, you pray for over, you've got hundreds on your prayer list. I don't know how you get through them, but you do every Quick. day. 
quick, real quick. They don't get seasons of prayer, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Appreciate the honesty. Approaching God is Steve's book. You you can't get it in our bookstore today because it's already sold out, but we'll get some others, or you can get it at Key Life. But you start out in the introduction, and you say this, I have a theory. Unbelievers don't pray because they're afraid that God might be there. Believers don't pray because they're afraid that he might not be. Explain that. Well, you know, if you're not, if you're not a believer, we're glad you're here. But it's hard. You, I feel sorry for you. I mean, you've got to be careful. The movies you go to and the people that are friends, you can't just read any book. You know, you've got to be careful about the books you read because they'll start you thinking. And funerals have got to be terrible. <laughs> I mean, you can't get away from the corpse, man. That makes you think. And, but one thing that you have to, because you want to be autonomous, and I get that. I do too sometimes. And if you, get, if you pray and God shows, you're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, it comes to an end. And so you're afraid to pray because God might show. And the rest of us who are religious, we're afraid to pray because we're afraid he may not. And, and you think you've got it bad. Pete and I, we make our living. I mean, what if we find out there's no God? Um, and so we, it's easier for us to do religious stuff. And if we can just stay busy doing religious stuff and hope there's a God, then, uh, then we can get by. But if we find out there isn't one, there's the meaninglessness and the emptiness and the homelessness and the loss of a job. Yeah. So yeah. religious people don't pray because they're afraid God might not show. Well, Pete and I have checked, okay? He's there. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's really there. You know, your first point uh, there was illustrated when we went to London, and there was that, that pagan lady who the missionaries prayed for. I think I told you guys about this. They prayed for her, and she said, I don't, I don't believe in God. Said, We're, she wanted a baby, and, we, and they prayed for her, and she got pregnant with twins. So that fits the same thing. Now she doesn't yeah. know what to do with that. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you're, you know, for us, we're, as pastors and religious types, yeah. it, we're, 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 good, we're good with activity and busyness, so true. especially as evangelicals, as Bible believers, teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible. Um, you know, doing the religious stuff is easier than prayer. All right, so in chapter one, you start off telling about your journey, what got you into doing this. Um, why, did you, why did you write this book on prayer? I, uh, I, I knew more than anybody in my congregation about God. Uh, I do I know more than you know about God, and so does Pete. It's what we do. I mean, you don't want to go to a doctor and find out that you know more about medicine than he knows. So it's not a prideful statement. We just, that's what we do. It's no we brag, know. just fact. Yeah, yeah, it's just fact. We are the yeah. religious experts. That's right. That's right. It's true. But the problem was, I'd look out at my congregation, and there'd be ain't Hassie out there, and she, and she knew God better than I did. She didn't know nearly as enough, enough about God as I did. So I knelt down, and I can remember praying this prayer, God, whatever it takes, I, I, want, I want to know you the way she does. And uh, God has, well, that's why I'm such a spiritual giant today. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is that, that typical deal that we know more about God yeah. and we don't know him, 
because you got to get with him and you experience him in prayer. So true. And, and that's really what we want to get out of this series on prayer is that we want to know him, not just know stuff about him. We need to know stuff about him, but we need to lead that into the relationship. Uh, so that's what motivated you. And uh, I mean, we could go on. There's so much we could talk about. This book is, this is the best book in the history of Christianity on prayer. <laughs> and I get 25% of the sales. But you were, you were saying, uh, first, you said prayer begins with God. What do you mean with that? You know, if you don't, uh, if you don't believe there's a God, the book of Hebrews says you've got to start at that point. So check that uh, if God is there and it begins with him, and he even calls us to prayer. You know, when I got down and prayed that prayer, that wasn't, and asked that question, Lord, how come I don't know you the way Hassie does? I didn't ask that question out of nowhere. Uh, that was a question implanted in my heart by God himself. If, if you're thirsty, it doesn't prove there's water. And if you're hungry, it doesn't prove that there's bread. But if you're hungry and thirsty, uh, that's a good indication that there is water and that there is bread. And it's the same way. What are you here for? Are you out of your mind? You could have slept in this morning or go play golf or something. But the reason we're here is because we have that desire. Mm -hmm. Because you really want to know God. You really do. Where did you get that? Where in the world did that come from? I'll tell you. Because it starts with God. Uh, Pascal said that I would not have searched for God if he had not already found me. And so that desire you have, even when you say, you know, you listen to us and say, I'm going to pray more. And you, you don't do it. That doesn't matter. That thought, I'm going to pray more, is from him and the indication that he is. See, now, I think that's so liberating. Because I think everybody in here wants to pray, wants to feel like they have a dynamic prayer life, yeah. wants to feel connected to God in prayer, but we feel guilty because we don't pray enough or there's something that keeps us. But that urge to pray is from God and it shows that he started this conversation. Yeah. All right, so can I pray whatever I want? You've got this, this thing in here that says uh, uh, that, that you, you can pray. There's no rules to pray. But the scriptures are important in prayer. I'm putting two of your statements together. So what do you mean? There's no rules to prayer, but... Well, when you start praying, there are certain things that are helpful. As long as you don't chisel them in concrete. Uh, the closer you get to God, the less formal and structured and rule-oriented your prayers are. But the scripture is what lets you know that you're not praying to Buddha. It lets you know that uh, this is the real God, that this is what it's really about. But we, what we do, because it's our proclivity, we, I have a lawyer friend. He, he's a malpractice lawyer and does, makes a lot of money. We have some friends here who knew him. He said, he, he started reading, I told you this, he started reading the Bible a week after he was a Christian. He came in my office and said, Steve, God's not what I thought he was. He's killing everybody. He's killing the cows and the men and the women and the children. And then he stopped and he said, now don't get me wrong, he's my kind of guy. 
But a couple of weeks later, he found the book on prayers. He said, I, my problem was I didn't know the rules. Now I know the rules. I'm going to read this book, and I'll get this thing. And I saw him a couple of weeks later, and I said, how's your prayer life? And he said, it's awful. He said, it was better for I read that stupid book. I've thrown it away. But there is a walking with God that becomes freer the more you do it. Once you rest in his love, you cuss and spit more. You tell him where you think he did wrong. I, you know, I've told you, we have a friend, Omar and uh, Mervat, and I visited him Friday. He's got uh, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, and his sons, Joseph's, got leukemia, and neither one of them are getting any better. And I told God that morning, you don't love them. If you loved them, you wouldn't do that to them. And you say, you say that to God? Yeah. I think it. Why shouldn't I say it? And then he says, are you through? And I say, yeah. And he says, I love you. Someday you'll understand. That's, that's prayer. That's the God who really cares. And, and the, more, the more you do it, the less concrete and rule-oriented and, you know, you got to do it this way, you got to do it that way kind of thing. But who was it said they fell into a well on top of their head and the best praying they ever did was standing on their standing head. Standing on his head. <laughs> yeah, right. Man, hanging up and down, upside down in bad <laughs> situations, you're going to pray more effectively. And that's really the deal. We want, we, we need him and we yeah. need to pray. Jesus said, what did he say? Pray and not lose heart, so you know, and that meets our needs. Tell a story about the dirty kid, hugging a dirty kid. We con each other, don't we? I mean, we all, I mean, you, you know, you, we put on masks to come to church. I mean, you don't know everything about me, and I'm going to hide most of it from you. And you're going to do the same thing. I don't know. Me. You're pretty out there, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm worse than I sound. Uh, and... Uh, but when we pray, we, we feel uncomfortable because we can't con him. I mean, he knows all our secrets and the things that we thought and the times we pretended to be something we weren't. And, uh, and so we feel guilty. And then it's out of our guilt that we, think, we say, that's not a comfortable place for me. I'm not going to pray anymore. Well, this, this young lady came into my study when I was a pastor, and she just didn't knock. She just stood there, no respect for the clergy. And I said, what is it, Sarah? And she said, uh, I went to a Bible study last night, and I learned something that was so good, and you're going to use it. And I said, what did you learn? And she said, I learned that you can't hug a stiff kid. And I said, that's true. I had teenagers then. If you've got teenagers and you die, you go to heaven without grace. <laughs> they don't even ask you about Jesus. They just say, you come on in, but... I had teenagers in that time. Have you ever tried to hug a sullen teenager, man? It's, now, they're not going to go after you. I'm bigger than they are, and I control the money and the car keys. So, you know, you got power. But they are not, that's, it's like it will be cold in a hot place for you. Hug me. They're, it's like hugging a telephone pole. And I said, Sarah, that's really good. I'm going to use that. She said, I knew you would. And then I went back to my book hoping she'd leave, and she just stood there. <laughs> And I said, what? And she said, uh, I learned something else last night that's good, too. I said, what'd you learn? She said, after the Bible study, I went to hug to babysit a little boy, uh, Billy. He, he was two or three years old. And she said he had been playing in the mud all day. 
And she said, when I walked into his room, this dirty kid, filthy kid, raised up his arms to be hugged. And I found out that it's easier to hug a dirty kid than it is to hug a stiff kid. And it is, guys. You know, Jesus took care of your sin on the cross. And he's making you better. He really is. The imputation of Christ's righteousness means you're perfect before God. So don't let your dirt keep you from him. It's the stiffness. Because uh, it's easier to hug a dirty kid for God than it is to hug a stiff kid. Having a conversation with you, uh, sort of like talking to God because of your voice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good looking too. And good looking. And yeah. I mean, if you, read, if you read the newspaper, I would go, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but I love you too, man. And um, thank you for your book on prayer. And let's thank Steve. Love you, man. Okay, The big question is this. Some of you guys are incredible prayers. And some of you guys struggle to pray. Why? Like me, like Steve, you know a lot, but it's not personal. Your temperament keeps you from prayer. You're back, whatever. God is approaching. Maybe what keeps you is that you think you're so bad, he didn't want to hear you. You're so dirty, you can't come to him. Good news. Jesus went to the cross. In Romans, Paul said, there is now. Now, because Jesus has come and died and rose again, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you don't know him and want to begin the conversation, get the conversation started. You're not too dirty for God. And if you are his, but you think you've gotten so muddy, he isn't going to listen to you. The bottom line is God specializes in dirty kids. And you are cleaner than you used to be. So pray. Jesus taught us to pray and to never lose heart. Because if we stop praying, we will lose heart. You take it to heart. Thanks for listening. And for more great audio, just click the audio button in the main menu of the app. That will connect you with the latest episodes of Key Life, Steve Brown, etc. And you think about that. <laughs>